The House of Roll journeys far and wide to bring you exceptional quality kitchen and bath fixtures. We've discovered the world's best craftsmen and techniques. Using materials native to the region and tools accustomed to individual craftsmen, we strive for perfection every step of the way. With all of this, you'll see the details of your own story, the story of a life well-crafted. This is the story Craft tells. Welcome to the House of Roll. of America is being squandered. How are we going to restore our nation back to a sensible, citizen-centric government? This is my country. It's time for populism with a purpose. Welcome to Reimagine America with Joyce Cordy. Joyce is a businesswoman, not a politician, and she's here to offer pragmatic, possible, and post-partisan solutions for the 21st century. Now, your host for Reimagine America, Joyce Cordy. And welcome to the Reimagine America Radio Hour. It's almost New Year's Eve. The champagne is on ice. The ball is ready to drop in Times Square. President Trump is alone at the White House after his surprising trip to Iraq. Melania is in Florida, ready to host the annual Mar-a-Lago New Year's Eve party. $650 a head for members, 1000 for non-members. 54000 for taxpayers who have to fund Secret Service tents and extra others, other extra security devices for this annual bash. And get this, the Secret Service protective detail members who are either at the White House or the so-called Florida White House are not getting paid and do not know when they will get paid. Do you think the bank's not going to charge them a late fee on their mortgage payment? And speaker to be, Nancy Pelosi is in Hawaii. Where it appears, she's had difficulty figuring out the tip for her ritzy brunch. Those pesky cell phone cameras are everywhere. They're even on her cozy, warm, slippered feet. Yes, I know it's true, because I saw it on Twitter with my own eyes. Speaker Ryan and Leader McConnell seem to be in the witness protection. And majority, soon-to-be minority leader Kevin McCarthy was last seen serving lunch to the homeless at a Kern County uh, shelter facility. And silly me, I thought this was the holiday break and there was going to be a slow news week. Well, as usual... There are a lot of people in politics and in the media whose purpose is to inflame your passions rather than to reason with you, even during this holiday break. But my purpose is different. I've come to inform you, to give you information that will enable you to make independent judgments on current events and to encourage you to act on those judgments. As a businesswoman, I focus a lot on the numbers. In the numbers this week, 
$24 billion, with a B dollars. That's the cost in lost productivity and commercial transactions from the last comparable-length government shutdown in 2013. Two, two each, the number of stories carried by ABC, CBS, NBC, and MSNBC over the deaths of 11 American children in a New Jersey rehabilitation hospital from something called endovirus number seven this past October. But there are endless hourly stories of the death of two migrant children who died within only hours of surrendering to U.S. Border Patrol officers in the high, very cold, high desert of New Mexico. A thousand points down and then up. What awaits us on this last day of trading on the global stock exchange? And 59%. That's the number of Democrats and independents who have looked at the likely class of 2020 Democratic presidential hopefuls and said, I want somebody not yet named. So let's talk a little bit about this government shutdown. Speaker Ryan will retire from Congress with a prolonged government shutdown as his final legacy. I'm sure that's not what he wanted. The current expectation is that the House of Representatives will elect Nancy Pelosi Pelosi Speaker on January 3rd and then quickly pass one or more of the following scenarios. They might pass the continuing resolution that the Senate passed on a voice vote before adjourning. It doesn't contain border wall money. It expires on February 8th. It was intended to allow time for the House and Senate and the White House to come to some form of agreement. And the president has vowed to veto it. And I don't think the votes are there in either the House or the Senate to override the president's veto at least not at this moment. The second likely scenario is that the House will pass a continuing resolution that funds six of the seven departments impacted by the government shutdown at the levels that had been previously agreed to for the fiscal year 2019. Well, that probably cannot pass the Senate. And if it did pass the Senate... I think it would be very quickly vetoed, and there aren't 60 votes in the Senate to pass it, let alone 75 to override that veto. Or the House might come up with a continuing resolution that funds everything for the balance of the year, stripping out the border security funding from Homeland Security, and then just wait to see what the president does. And that could be a boom. I mean, he could just take extreme measures. We don't know. I would hope that um, on the 3rd, there's going to be some backroom wheeling and dealing that gets us to a point of uh, compromise, bipartisan compromise that lifts the shutdown. Uh, this isn't good for the government, and it isn't good for for any of us as citizens. But that's not likely to happen. So let's look at what will happen, okay? 
um, the Smithsonian Museums are open through December 31st. They'd be closed normally on New Year's Day. They will remain closed. The EPA closes on the same day, as well as the National Zoo. Now, remember that outside of government, the second biggest uh, source of revenue to the city of Washington, D.C., is tourism. And just imagine all those eighth graders this first week in January being their week to go to the capital city and tour um, the various houses of government, all of which will be closed to them. And this is a once-in-a-lifetime experience. Some national parks may remain partially open during the remainder of the shutdown. For example, Yosemite is, will remain open, but visitor centers, public restrooms, and most campgrounds and picnic areas will be closed. So uh, there have been ads on television this week that advise you to use bathroom facilities before entering the park. Uh, um, other, some parks will be completely closed. 45,000, 450,000, I'm sorry, it's early on Sunday morning, 450,000 essential workers will be required to work with no idea when they're going to get paid. And who are these miscellaneous people? They're the people of Homeland Security who protect you, the TSA. So if you're traveling this New Year's weekend, please be nice to those people. Air traffic controllers. The people who keep you safe in the sky are not getting paid. One of the most stressful jobs in the world. FBI agents are not getting paid. Federal marshals are not getting paid. Federal prison guards. Secret Service protective detail members are not being paid. And we've just overnight figured out a way to pay the U.S. Coast Guard because, you know, they're paid out of Homeland Security budget, not out of the Defense Department. So they didn't get paid on the 22nd when all the other military got paid. But they have figured out a workaround to get the Coast Guard paid. Thank God. Well, the Justice Department's working without being paid. That's the federal courts and, yes, the Mueller investigation. And just as a quick aside, just what born government-owned company is fighting the Mueller grand jury subpoena. The mystery deepens. The government's response to the Supreme Court is due tomorrow. And I do just love a good mystery. But back to the subject of furloughs. 380,000 people, workers, are being furloughed. They don't work and they don't get paid. And these are people with families. These are people who have rent and mortgages to pay. And in all this nuttiness, all this nuttiness, ladies and gentlemen, is over less than $1.2 billion. In a $4 trillion budget, I dare you to even find that rounding error. So this is all about symbolism. It is all, all about um, the 2020 presidential election, if you want to know the truth. It is all about um, Trump derangement syndrome. It's, it's, but it makes, it, it's not about border security 
or national security. So, and, and there is a rumor afoot, a rumor afoot that uh, Pence made an offer to minority leader Schumer of $2.5 billion. So in other words, half of what the president says he's demanding and couldn't get that agreed to. So we really are, um, it, it's really a very difficult contest. And you know why it's a contest? Because of who is not being hurt by this. You're listening to Reimagine America on 860 AM, The Answer. Once again, your host, Joyce Cordy. And why are we in this contest in which you and I, the American people, are going to get the bill and nearly a million government workers don't know when they'll see their next paycheck over a rounding error? in a $4 trillion budget. I mean, at at risk here is somewhere between $1.3 and $5 billion in a $4 trillion budget. And we're squawking about that. It's all about the symbolism. It's all about making people pick sides. And you know why it's happening? There's one reason that it's happening. The people who have to make the decisions are the only people who are unaffected by the shutdown. So who's getting paid? Well, you know who's getting paid? Senate Majority Leader McConnell, but not his wife, the, the Transportation Secretary. Senate Minority Leader Schumer is getting paid. Paul Ryan's getting his last paycheck as a congressman. Nancy Pelosi is spending her holiday in Hawaii, but she's getting paid, as is Minority Leader Hoyer and Majority Leader McCarthy. And I could go on with this list, but of course you get the picture. So what if, what if, like California's legislature, members of Congress were subject to a no-budget, no-pay law, where it wouldn't be discretionary anymore? So how about a constitutional amendment started by the states? You know, you need three-fourths of the states to ratify a, that's 35, I believe, doing math on the top of my head, to ratify a constitutional amendment. And so why don't we do, why don't the states, the state legislatures get together and do exactly what California's voters did to our legislature and that is pass a constitutional amendment that says if the budget's not done on the day that it's that it is required, uh, the budget year ending on September 30th of every year, then you know the guys in Congress do not get paid, and usually that would have some impact on the president as well. But this president chooses to donate his salary anyway, um, and that would. That's the only way um, to solve the project, the problem. Now, California may be, you know, California's budget may be imperfect. 
you and I probably would not agree with all the spending priorities of the state. But, by golly, the toll takers at the bridges and the rangers in our, in our parks and the clerks at DMV don't have to worry about whether they're going to get a paycheck because the legislature is so worried about its own paycheck that it gets a budget passed on time. So maybe this is an opportunity for soon-to-be governor, would-be presidential candidate Newsom, to lead such an effort among the states to pass an amendment that says if the budget is not approved by the middle of September, that until that budget gets approved, Congress does not get paid. I believe that we'd never see another shutdown, especially over something as really symbolic and not uh, effective as the wall, glass, or whatever you want to call it, okay? Because it's not going to work. And because I'm a numbers person, let's explain why it won't work by the numbers. One, it's not physically possible to build a 2,000-mile contiguous wall. Why? Because there are mountains and rivers and lakes and deserts and other natural barriers that would prevent the building of a 2,000-mile contiguous wall. Walls can be second. Walls can be topped or tunneled under. Just ask the Israelis or go to Arizona. You know, you go to Nogales, Arizona, and, and anybody in town can show you the fake houses, which are really tunnels. It's also true in San Ysidro and in California um, along the um, border uh, between San Ysidro, which is south of San Diego, and the Arizona border. So walls can be topped or tunneled. Number three, my favorite, 47% of undocumented or illegal aliens, if you prefer, are visa overstays who entered the United States at land ports of entry, like Mexico or Canada, or seaports like New York or Seattle or San Francisco, or actually it's Oakland here, uh, the wall will not change that dynamic at all. won't do anything to alter the dynamic of 47% of undocumented overstays. But what would change that dynamic is a mandatory, comprehensive e-verify system that all American workers would have to be subject to and that employer penalties would be stiff enough to have people not turn their back. And if you want to know more about e-verify, go to Reimagine America and do a search on e-verify and you'll see uh, some research I did um, earlier on who does and who doesn't use e-verify and, and the lack of teeth in the existing law. And there's one more issue. You know, Senator Graham has said that the wall is, and, and you know, regardless of all the machinations around Lindsey Graham, he does have an expertise in, and, and a sincere concern about national security. You know, 
Senator Graham, what worries me is the visa overstay, the tourist visa entry at any airport, the grown tourist baby with a U.S. passport. That worries me. You know, a lot of them in Turkey, 50,000 a year born to Turkish mothers who go home um, and get inculcated with Islamic rhetoric and then can come back into the U.S. on a U.S. passport. So I don't get why the wall is important to Lindsey Graham unless there's something that he's heard in the security briefing that the rest of us should know about. And we'll be back in just a moment with a little more by the numbers. Back to Reimagine America with Joyce Cordy on 860 AM, The Answer. And when we went to break, we were talking about the reasons by the numbers that the wall won't work. And so where we left off was at 47% of undocumented or illegal aliens entering legally and overstaying their visa. And... The thing that worries me the most, and that is tourist entry at any airport um, with a visa, and more than that, um, birth tourism, uh, a major industry uh, in which uh, Russian, Chinese, and and Turkish mothers, being the three largest groups, uh, come to the U.S. pregnant, um, give birth in the United States to get access to that blue passport, um, and then return to their home country and raise their children as citizens of that home country, except for the fact that they have birthright citizenship in the U.S. And if you if you have been following um, the events in Turkey, you know that there is a lot of radical Islamic um, thought um, and action in Turkey. And so what worries me the most is that one of those grown tourist babies can walk right in with a U.S. passport. Why in first class? Heck with all this trying to get across the border um, in the middle of the night and hope the Border Patrol does you. And then let's talk about that border for just a second. So this is reason number four the wall won't work. Smugglers and immigrants are not stupid. They find whatever whatever defenses we put up, they find loopholes and they exploit them. You know, it used to be um, that we would catch single men coming across the border and we'd turn them around and deport them quite quickly. And then they figured out, well, if you come with a child uh, or you send an unaccompanied child, the sympathetic, compassionate American people are going to let you, are going to give you more leeway. So... Were, we saw 50,000 family units, that means a parent and child, in 2016. This year, we saw 125,000 such families. And it's horrible because the conditions they experience coming from the so-called Northern Triangle of Central America to the United States are just awful. And then they get here, and ICE doesn't have the facilities to properly house or care for anywhere close to that number of migrants, and certainly not women and children. 
So, you know, we have a law that allows the Border Patrol, if they catch you between a port, ports of entry and you're Mexican, to just turn you around and send you back to Mexico. No hearing, no nothing. That does not apply to Central Americans. That would require a change in the law. So they have to go through lengthy court proceedings. And now that we don't have sufficient law enforcement, enough, enough people on the border, or enough administrative judges to quickly settle their asylum claims, they back up in ICE custody. So this week, you want some numbers? This week, ICE released 1,500 people into the U.S. interior at El Paso and San Ysidro. People who have had minimal medical evaluation and, you know, the first bar of an asylum claim, years of court ahead of them. Um, but anyway, they've had minimal medical evaluation, and they've been living rough for months. These people are carrying flu virus, and we don't know how many variations of the endovirus. It's really the common cold. Um, there are up to 80 variations. And so... What we're going to see is an increase in infectious disease within the United States because we can't properly screen these people. And what do the smugglers tell them to do? Well, if you listen to the interviews that are done uh, by sympathetic reporters on MSNBC and CNN and other uh, channels, um, they cross the border. They drop, they drop them. ICE drops them at a Greyhound bus station. Okay. Well, once they're in the United States, they with their electronic bracelets, they're dropped, um, and their so-called court date. Um, and most of them cut off their bracelets and they melt into the existing undocumented communities of their relatives who are already here. And we're going to spend years playing catch me if you can. And none of that is going to be changed by a five billion dollar appropriation for a wall. What we have to change are the immigration laws and the policies and procedures that end the incentives to drag seven and eight-year-old infants in arms across a 2,000-mile dangerous and heartbreakingly deadly difficult journey. And what stands in the way of a more rational and humane approach to immigration? In a word, politics. And it's both Democrats and Republicans. How many times in the last decade, since 2006, when President Bush said he was going to use what was left of his, of his political capital on immigration reform, how many times have we danced right up to the line of Congress? to get it across the line. What we do is we rile up the emotions of voters to get votes on both sides of the aisle. That is why the army is at the border. That's why the border wall fights. And that's why the DACA situation remains in limbo, etc. And, oh, by the way, these people who are slipping into the U.S., uh, now illegally so that we can play years of catch me if you can, those are future dockets. We're not done with this issue if we pass reform 
this year. And why? Why, Then the solution. And that drives me crazy. Problems need to be solved. It's about raising money. It's about driving single-issue voters to the polls. It's about how many ballots can you harvest in the immigrant community in, under California's very legal ballot harvesting system. That's why the horrible, tragic death of two children in border control custody for a few days or hours after months of unspeakable hardship suddenly becomes the problem of the Border Patrol. They're not medical uh, magicians. They're doing the best they can in a situation that was um, inadequate. So, as I said earlier uh, in the broadcast, you've heard about these two children. And, and, you know, I'm a mom. I mean, the death of any child is a horrible, tragic thing. But the the amount of time and been spent on the death of two migrant children in Border Patrol custody, as though Border Patrol did something wrong. By comparison, 11 U.S. children in, in a New Jersey rehab facility, kids who have had years and years of really good health care, died of endovirus number seven this past October. 172 children died of flu last year in the United States, and 110 children died of flu the year before. I find those numbers alarming, but no one's calling the CDC callous or responsible or indifferent or incompetent or called for its elimination. And just as we go to break, let me remind you that the average age of homeless people in the United States of America is nine years of age. And that is an unconscionable and ignored statistic. And we'll be back in just a moment. You're listening to Reimagine America on 860 AM, The Answer. Once again, your host, Joyce Cordy. And as I, as I said at the end of the last period, um, the numbers, any child dying um, is a tragedy. But, but when was the last time you heard anybody in the media, except me, remind you, that the average age of three, of the 3.5 million underhoused or completely homeless Americans is nine years of age. So immigration is an issue. It's one we need to solve. Uh, it's one we should insist that any presidential candidate in 2020 have a realistic and effective program of solutions that can pass into law that will at least begin to correct some of the most urgent immigration issues that confront us today. And the priority should not be on political points, but on saving lives, preserving U.S. sovereignty, and protecting our citizens. 
from international terrorism. And unfortunately, you know what? It's still 2018. (laughs) We haven't even sworn in the new Congress, but we're already polling for the 2020 Democratic opponent for President Trump, if indeed President Trump chooses to run for re-election, which is also a subject of early polling, but not the subject today. Early polling suggests a field of somewhere between 20 and 30 Democrats who said they're talking to their family about the possibility of a 2020 presidential bid. That really means can they find the staff of sufficient caliber and enough donors to give them enough money to be a realistic possibility. And when you look at who's got support, well, the list is topped by Joe Biden, who has 53% support. And, you know, that's good news. Uh, it doesn't matter um, if, if you would still vote for, for President Trump um, against Joe Biden. That's not my point. The point is that Democrats are saying experience matters by a wide margin. You know, when you get down to Beto O'Rourke, who's in third place, you have, uh, or even even Bernie Sanders in second place, the gulf is about 30 points. Okay, and Joe Biden has support in the early caucus states, and he's got support across the political spectrum. And it's about experience. It's about the fact that he he knows how to govern from day one. And oh, by the way, at the bottom of that list of twenty, the bottom, bottom, bottom. So whatever Hillary is thinking, Democrats are not thinking Hillary. But the one name that gets more support than Joe Biden, who is, after all, almost 80 years old, and this is the toughest job in the entire world, 59% of the independents and Democrats polled said they favor a candidate not yet named. In other words, yo, somebody who has not yet said they're talking to their family. And I'm with that 59%. The frequent talking point when reviewing the list of senators and former cabinet secretaries and, and, and defeated Senate candidates, et cetera, who are vying for the most important job in the world, especially in 2020, is that after Trump, quote, anybody can be president. Wrong answer. One thing we should have learned from both the Obama presidency and the Trump presidency is that experience in managing large, complex organizations, experience in governing matters. Remember that that trillion-dollar stimulus plan and, and that plan that failed to do anything but add a billion dollars, a trillion dollars, I'm sorry, you know, rounding error there, uh, to the national debt? Well, what it, why did it fail? It failed because, to quote former President Obama, who knew there were no shovel-ready projects, but the debt's still there. Remember a health care plan that covers more people but has left most working Americans and less coverage? Now, who would have predicted that? That if, if people with um, in, in any state of health were in the same risk pool as you, that you would be paying more? Now, who would have predicted that? I mean, that's, you know. And yes, it's added to 
some of the additional $7 trillion of debt since its passage. And you remember, if you like your doctor, you can keep your doctor. Obama wasn't lying. He just made that statement without any understanding of how the insurance industry really works, that it's risk adverse. The same is true of fracturing 70-year-old alliances that leave us more vulnerable than at any time since World War II and fractured relationships with the two most reliable allies we have, Canada and Britain, even the British holding the bag in Syria. The use of it, both of them, have used executive orders rather than hard done the hard work of legislating. Executive orders are transitory. I wonder how have reacted on 9-11. Without an experienced executive team, what would have happened to the USA after 9-11? Or what would have happened to the U.S. economy? So George W. Bush knew the, pay, the price he would pay politically, but he put the country before short-term ratings in approving Secretary Paulson's bank rescue plan and working with Congress to get TARP passed. And, oh, by the way, if you don't know, TARP was fully repaid to the U.S. government with interest, except for the old GM part that you and I, Mr. and Mrs. Taxpayer, still own. And that was part of the Obama administration. So George W. Bush, who was the last president who came to the presidency with experience in governing, okay, made a lot of mistakes. We can spend the rest of Iraq. He's still arguing with himself about Iraq. But he did what he did based on what had happened and the intelligence that was available to him in the, in the face of the smoking hulks of the Twin Towers. What would any of us done? But it was Obama who failed to complete the status of forces agreement that led to our premature withdrawal from Iraq and the rise of ISIS. And we could talk about Afghanistan, what he claimed to be the correct war, but we've only got an hour. So if you want to hear more about that sometime, um, we'll do a call-in show and, and we can talk about um, Obama's decision-making around Afghanistan the first president to use um, uh, keeping a campaign promise as a way to put more U.S. soldiers in harm's way unnecessarily and without a positive result. So let's go back for just a second to President Bush and say what happened. You know, there were a lot of bipartisan successes um, in during his eight years in office. And you know what? They were treaties ratified by Congress, and they were laws passed by Congress, and so they have life and legacy and predictability for American business and American government and the American people. He oversaw the entry of most of the former Soviet bloc nations into NATO. He expanded our European missile defense systems. Whatever we say about homeland security, we have not had another planned and executed terrorist attack. Working with um, with Ted Kennedy, we passed no child left behind. Imperfect, because all laws are imperfect. Okay, but it did 
make significant change to at least being able to measure our success or failure as a nation in how we educate our children. And that's, um, that's a step forward, okay? And I think the most important part of No Child Left Behind was the bigotry of low expectations, refusing to accept that bigotry. And that was a lesson he'd learned and overcome as the governor of Texas. Look at Texas um, educational rankings compared to California. And so my point's not to praise Bush or to point to the Clinton economy more a mirage than a reality. My point is that a demonstrated ability to lead a huge and complex organization like the American government and to be able to take advice from from a variety of expert sources are vital prerequisites for the presidency. It's a role so difficult no one can really succeed. But experience will help to minimize the risks to you and me. And it would if the next president had a fiscal conscience and consciousness of debt. And we'll be back in just a couple of minutes with a couple of closing thoughts. Back to Reimagine America with Joyce Cordy on 860 AM, The Answer. In just a couple of closing thoughts, um, California's legislature did a couple of things I can actually applaud. They passed a law effective today that says pet stores cannot sell animals from so-called puppy and kitten mills. Uh, they can only sell pets that come through rescue services. So if you want a purebred animal in California, you need to go directly to a licensed breeder. And I think that will improve um, our four-legged friends, or as I like to call mine, um, children, um, with... um, and, and do that in a, in a really positive way. The other thing, the other thing the legislature did for, for our four-legged uh, members of our families is to say they now have rights in divorce, okay? You can actually have, uh, they're no longer property. They're now creatures, and they, um, and, and they can be subject to, custod- to custodial and non-custodial um, custody arrangements, in uh, divorce in California. And frankly, you know, those are both, I think, very small, 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 but very positive steps taken by our legislature. So you have to applaud them for what they do right. Okay. Um, I'm hoping that you have a safe and happy New Year's holiday. Um, Remember that this is a maximum enforcement weekend um, for um, the California Highway Patrol. So let's all be safe. And in the new year, we'll look forward to bringing you a variety of guests as diverse as cybersecurity and climate change. And in the meantime, if you have a comment or a topic you'd like me to cover, email me at Joyce at Reimagine America or tweet me at Joyce Cordy 
or at Reimagine America Radio Hour. Um, and reimagineamerica.org, as we're all making our year-end pitches, is independent and nonprofit. If you enjoy our independent voice, please consider making a small donation at reimagineamerica.org. You can hear a repeat of this show or any Reimagine America show as a podcast at reimagineamerica.org. We're a little bit behind because I've been traveling and dealing with some other little issues, but um, we will get everything up to date on Monday, and um, we'll also start um, giving you some more in-depth blogs to help uh, supplement what you hear on the radio. So in the meantime, I wish each and every one of you a happy, healthy, prosperous, and patriotic 2019. And we'll talk to you again next week. Thank you. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.